And the headline is, Wall Street Analyst officially declares the end of, quote, limited access to email as an excuse for anyone inhabiting Earth. Good morning. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good in, good in morning. Good in harbor. <laughs> so you just sent me, the, can we just jump uh, right into this? Oh, God. Can we just go man. right into this? Because it's... I, I have so, I had so much prepared. <laughs> and then like two minutes ago, I got a link. <laughs> that changes everything you said to me. Why did I get the link? Uh, Dan, you want to lead this one? Oh, gosh, I don't, I don't know. This is from... Uh, I don't know if I want to do this. Via Twitter a few minutes ago, uh, Sean Locke, who's at Sean M. Locke. Apologies for sending you, sending you a quote-unquote viral URL, but this subject is relevant to your interests. And I'm not sure why, but I went ahead and clicked it. Oh, boy. Dan, what are we looking at here? This is an article on a site called Viral Quake. <laughs> Stories that shake the web. And it, it, the article is entitled, 30 Pilots and Flight Attendants Confess Their Best Kept Secrets. And it, the, the description is, these questions were asked on Reddit, and the answers are insane. Are these true? Question mark, question mark, question mark. My mind has officially been blown. I travel a lot, so some of this is pretty scary if you ask me. Here is the text leaked <laughs> from Reddit. Some people don't write so much as type. Yeah, it's more just typing and <laughs> as they go. <laughs> it's lucky typing. Yeah. Now, there's uh, 30 of these uh, uh-huh. best-kept secrets, and a lot of them are uh, very interesting and learned things about like how to know if the plane that just landed has been hijacked. Mm-hmm. Facts that sound very sensible to me, like that you should always lock your bag, even a carry-on, because mm-hmm. you might have to gate-check it, right? Uh, it's okay for cats to wander around on planes. But then, Dan... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Let me put it this way. I, I know people are busy. TLDR. Everything <laughs> that is your worst fear about the filth and contagion of a flying fart tube is laid bare. Yeah. If, if these are even half true, and I suspect that they are. No, I think they are. And that's this is the kind of thing where when you read this, you're like, yeah, the, that's <laughs> that's that's what I always feared and thought. And uh, which one should we start with? I mean, I Gosh, think I, I don't. I, I don't know, Dan. I think there's several <laughs> several involving water that I think are uh, kind of informative. The, I mean, this article is it's definitely worth it because, like, here's something that's interesting: the oxygen mask. Yes. It says if the, this is the first one, if the oxygen mask drop down, you have about 15 minutes of oxygen from the point of them going down. Well, that that seems like a lot, but it says, mm-hmm. it, it, but it says uh, that that's um, that. that the pilot can go to, it says the altitude at altitude, you have 15 to 20 seconds before you pass out. Yeah. And it says says passing out for a few seconds won't harm your kids. So let them pass out. uh, And then you can, you get yours on. That's the main thing. So have a a theme party for them to be able to pass. (laughs) It starts out with a very positive feel like, Oh, okay. It's it's intermingled. It's interleaved. (laughs) And then you get to one like number 20, 25, uh, which is, I don't think there is a 20. Oh, I see. They had an error in numbering. I thought maybe it was because of bad luck. Number 25, the drinking water used for coffee and tea is filthy. And I'll just quit freely here. The drinking water that, that oh God, did anybody edit this? No The drinking water that used for making coffee, tea, et cetera, should never be consumed. <sighs> the holding tanks in these sometimes 60-year-old planes are never cleaned. They have accumulated so much greenish grime on the walls that in some places it can be inches thick. This seems like the kind of thing – and it's and this is the part that says this one is very known by all airline employees, which I think translates into English as all airline employees know about this. Um, 
that just doesn't make me feel good uh, about it. But, you know, the, the part about this, and again, who knows, this is one of those, you know, uh, you're not going to believe what happened next kind type, type things. Um, oh, my goodness. I work for Southwest as a flight attendant. Those blankets and pillows, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Those just get refolded and stuffed back in the bins between flights. Only, oh, dear me. Only fresh ones I ever saw were on an originating first flight in the morning in a provisioning city. Also, if you ever spread your peanuts on your tray or you really just touch your tray at all, you've more than likely ingested baby poo. I saw more dirty diapers laid on those trays than food. Now, that sounds like an exaggeration, but but still something that's going to make me think twice. Yeah. Now, this, now Dan, based on your own personal thought technologies, this sounds like a lot of stuff. You're already in front of a lot of this. You, you never open a bottle of milk unless it's already got the, the cap on it, right? <laughs> that's, that's right. This is, this, is, this, is part of your, this is part of your ethos, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, these are sort of the, the – to me, this seems – a lot of it, not the water thing because you would think the water thing would be clean. It would be clean. It's not clean. But that, that one seems pretty easy. That seems that, that seems, seems like, the blankets. I assume that that the blankets are just all communal blankets. And if you're that desperate that you need a blanket, I've never asked for a pillow or a blanket on any flight I've ever flown on in 41 years. But I know people do. I just assume that those blankets are community property. Like if you were in a, you know, if if, if for example you went on a like, could I borrow a magazine? Yeah. Right, you wouldn't. You wouldn't just start start licking photos of no. food inside because you assume it's. Fresh. I don't want that on my person. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I guess there are people who want to use the blankets. You just go in. I'm assuming everyone knows it's a community pillow. Ugh. Everyone shared that pillow. It's not getting cleaned. Number eleven. Do not ever drink water on an aircraft that did not come from a bottle. Don't even all caps touch it. The reason being the ports to purge lavatory excrement and refill the aircraft with potable water are within feet of each other and sometimes serviced all at once by the same guy. So now we've got an idiocracy situation. Right. It's just going in my ear or my mouth or my butt. <laughs> no, that one goes in your butt. No, no, wait. It's the other wait, one. That one goes in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't want to dwell on this. It's in show notes. Dan, Dan, where can people find uh, uh, show notes for uh, episode uh, 168? My goodness. Can you believe it? Program. I cannot believe it. 5by5.tv slash B as in bacteria, 2 as in the number, W as in water, slash 168. Where they go. I had such bright plans for today. I know. But well, they, they say that, uh, uh, you know, what you don't know can't hurt you. Oh, boy. That it would be really nice if that were true. <laughs> There's so many things I would unlearn. Yeah. Just in the interest of safety, health and safety. Yeah. Anyway, like I say, I mean, grain of salt, right? Like we, we haven't vetted this, but it's, it's one of those problematic uh, kinds of link data articles where unfortunately it does, it's one of those rare things that does largely comport with exactly what I'd feared. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't know if that's true. I, maybe we'll get some, um, get some follow-up feedback from people who can verify uh, how often or how much things like this are true. Mm-hmm. You think about the time it takes them to flip one of those jets around. You know, I don't think they're doing real careful detailing between flights. No, no. It's a bus. I don't know why anybody thinks it's different from a bus. It's a bus in the air. If you got on, and I know San Francisco has a lot of buses, and if people get on a bus, you don't go in thinking that between every stop, people are cleaning this. I wonder what we'll eat. (laughs) 
Right. Should we eat something while we're in? The- I wonder what they'll serve. Yeah. It's this is a bus. It's nothing more than a bus. It's a bus, and what I think gives people the the illusion that it's something not a bus is that there is a uh, it, it, there is a flight attendant working in there, and it, the impression is that the flight attendants are doing something additional. If you put a bus attendant in a bus, I wouldn't want to eat in there or be handed a blanket and think I could use that. It's a bus. It's gross. Well, so is a plane. So if you treat it like that, no surprises. Just go in thinking like that. That's, My that's, kid that's, wants to go to New York now. Yeah. He wants me Avengers. to take him to New York. Because <clears throat> of the Avengers? No, I think he just he wants to see, you know, just wants to see My the big city. My daughter's figuring out there's a lot of different stuff there that she'd like to see, like as she calls her Lady Liberty. She knows Lady Liberty is <laughs> So I want to I want to compare and contrast the the uh my my two children for you in a way you'll find entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did tweet this earlier in the week, so you may have already seen it. But uh, I guess this was Easter morning. Uh, my son and daughter were both there. He's six and a half. She's two and a half. He said, Dad, I had a dream last night. I said, what was your dream? He said, I was fighting a giant scorpion and I chopped off its tail with a sword. And I said, wow, that's a cool dream. Were you scared? He's like, nah, I wasn't scared. And my daughter then said... I had a dream too. I dreamed about unicorns and horses. Oh. And you can't it's like they are so stereotypically male and female. And the funny thing is before there was TV involved before any of that they've just both been like that. And I don't I don't think it's like TV or some kind of thing that I'm uh, accidentally doing because I wouldn't care if she played with trucks or and if he played with a dog like doesn't matter to me right but he's always been a like really drawn to this kind of thing like when we go into the toy store he will automatically gravitate to the most disgusting spider in a plastic block that will be what he wants to get and she will run over to the stuffed animal and hug it like it's so weird to me how much of this is built in is programmed in she's she loves little baby dolls she loves them i wonder if it's also partly just a natural when you've got two kids of different genders and different enough ages if they're especially in cash's case is he that he's likely to seek out contrasts maybe not 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 that there's anything to that but um i wonder if that's part of it because uh with my kid it's it's um it's pretty bananas. Like what she will, she'll move from one thing to another. Like, you know, she, she, it moves so freely from like what you would consider classic boy stuff to classic girl stuff, which I really, really like. It makes me, you know, it makes me feel good. Not that it matters how I feel about it, but I think it's good that she hasn't gotten a stigma yet about what kind of, whether she's supposed to ask for the boy toy or the girl toy. I hope she never gets that. Well, it's out there and a lot of it comes, I mean, it's hard to know where it comes from. That's how ideology works is that, you know, it's just around you. And I think that pressure, it looks like that picks up a lot more, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade. But yeah, 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 that's really strange. A scorpion, huh? I don't think I'd like that at all. The tiger in the chat room says Dan's unconscious reinforcement of gender roles. And that's the thing is like, I've never, I I, I don't want to do that. Um, But like, you know, I don't, I don't pick out. Their clothing generally once in a while, I'll, I'll take them and, you know, buy right. them something like she will be given a choice. Do you want the pink shirt or the purple shirt 
or the blue shirt or the white shirt, it's pink or purple every time. Is is the, the tiger, is that right? Yeah, in the, the chat room, the, yeah. The tiger, is yeah. it somebody you've met before? No, nah, I don't meet these people. Oh, so, so they haven't met your kids? No. Or you? No, huh. they haven't. Would you like at this point to make any observations about that person based on not having met them? I can, I'll I'll can make some. Hey, tiger, we've never met, but whatever you do, you don't work hard enough and you're overpaid. Wow. Nice no, I, I, I really enjoy that when somebody's able to instantly make a decision about somebody they've never met. I kid the tiger. You should ask for a race. Tiger's a but, nice person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he no, he or she is always in the chat room. Just remember, no matter what you're doing today, you're doing it wrong. That's, that's the key <laughs> thing. Turns out. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, so I, actually, if anybody out there uh, has actual firsthand uh, professional information uh, about those things, that would be... Uh, yeah, right in. I, I know we have a lot of social psychologists and sociologists, but I want to hear from the actual psychiatrists. I'll bet you reckon something. Yeah. Um, but, um, can I mention, I don't know, I should mention this cause we got so much good stuff to talk about, but, um, I wanted to mention two, uh, well, technically th- three pieces of, uh, feedback we've gotten from people that I thought were interesting. Yeah, we did get a lot. Yeah, we got a lot of, a lot of good stuff this weekend. Some of them are really fast. Uh, one of them, see, I write it down, but then I don't write down who said it. Darn it. Uh, somebody was nice enough to send us a link to something, uh, an article by Warren Ellis about, why the future sort of related to what we we're talking about a couple episodes ago about why we're so terrible about predicting what will happen in the future and why we're not blown away by stuff that happens now. We like so quickly. Anyway, that's in show notes, something Warren Ellis wrote called, uh, how to see the future. And I thought it was really interesting. Like he's a really smart guy. He writes a hell of a comic. Um, Reality uh, does not get improved, does it? But I'll suggest to you something. The theories of atemporality and manufactured normalcy and zero history can be short-circuited by just one thing, looking around. Uh, not from getting the future of promise, getting it too late uh, to make the promise difference. We look back at the present day through a rearview mirror. I think that's a smart thing to say. Anyway, that was really good, and uh, I should find out who sent that so I can thank them. Uh, but I can't. <laughs> no, I'll find it. I'll find it. Because, uh, you know, we should thank people for these things. They know things. who they are. Yeah, but but the world should too. Anyway, I thought that was nice. That's in show notes. Um, I'll just mention in passing. Thank you to the anon uh, person who doesn't want to be named, but thank you to the person who wrote uh, about. Uh, you see this, dear Dan Merlin. Uh, thank you guys for helping me through some tough times lately. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it was really nice. And I, I I wanted to say thank you to this person. I'll just I'll quote. I can read this, but not say their name. So. Um, I found so much help and comfort in your show. When things get bad, and I'm saying, I'm saying this because I, I appreciate this person writing, but also I need to hear this sometimes too. When things get bad, I've been able to catch myself and say, I'm the one who's thinking these thoughts, or I'm thinking sad, anxious, scary thoughts right now, just like you guys have talked about, and that's helped. Uh, that's helped center me, take me out of the bad. And just last night, I popped awake at 3 a.m., mind racing, getting scared and upset, and I thought of Merle, and I said to myself, my job right now is to sleep. <laughs> I said that over and over like a mantra, uh, help quiet my mind. And then when my daughter ran into my room at 7 a.m., I told myself my job is to play with her right now. And I just wanted to say thanks uh, to that person for uh, writing. I appreciate them very much saying that. Uh, it helps me, too. I still, I still uh, hear good things about that Anxiety's a Goat episode. I think it was pretty good. It ain't no episode 7. No, I mean, it's what is. But... Um, but that's you know that's that's the thing, then. We think... I know each of us individually, and we talk about it sometimes here, it's... You know, like, this is, sounds so silly, but, like, life is hard and things get complicated and it seems like things should just be simple, uh, but nothing is ever simple. And if the we don't really get through processing these things consciously, the things that happen to us, 
uh, then then they go underground and they come back out at 3 a.m. And you know what I mean? And like grounding yourself and finding a place to kind of stand and be like, well, how do I handle this? Um, That's hard. That's hard to do. It is. It's it's difficult and it's complicated, um, not least because of reasons I want to talk about in a few minutes with our, our nominal topic. Um, you know, one of the tentpole problems is one of those basic cognitive biases where, again, we think we do stuff because we have our reasons and everybody else is bad, evil, and wrong or confused and stupid and needs to be educated by us. And, and so the thing is, if, if, even if you even just kind of have that, which I think most of us at least kind of have, is like, the, my, my life is the way it is because all these things have been visited upon me. You've made bad decisions. And then if the times come along when you have to think about that kind of stuff where you find that you, that can be a very lonely feeling. Oh, yeah. If, you, if, you have, if you've decided that the whole world is the way it is because everybody's screwed up and you have to basically risk your own personal sense of self to figure out like why you're up at three in the morning. Yeah. That's a really problematic thing. And and to have a little kind of a basic, you know, basic toolbox for how to kind of toolbox for kind Tool, of how to toolbox. get toolbox. Well, what do you need is a toolbox? I don't want to dwell on it. I know we're supposed to be silly and talk about Superior Spider-Man 30 and 31, but I, I just wanted to say thank you for that. And uh, I, I continue to recommend that episode to people. And uh, I like to listen to it too, because I think it's, I think it's helpful. Um, but you know, it's, you know, the world can be such an unsympathetic place, especially if we don't actually go out and seek out any sympathy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, it's it's just, it's strange. A lot of the coping mechanisms that make the world make sense from day to day fall down sometimes. And that can be really difficult. So uh, I really appreciated that from that person. That's all I wanted to say about that. Very cool. Yes, yes. Um, got some other stuff. We do have Spider-Man, but I figure, you know, people have been getting more and more mad about that. So I don't know if we should talk about about, about, about talking about it. Yeah, yeah. And, but then we also have a nominal marquee topic. Did you want to tell me about uh, something that you like today? I would love to tell you about our friends over at Harry's. These guys make really beautiful uh, razors and, and, and shaving paraphernalia. I love these guys. They, uh, they, they, here's, here's the story. The guy, one of the co-founders. You know, these are the same guys that make uh, Warby Parker, by the way. They founded that hmm. too. So the, one of the guys, Andy... Here's his story. He says, I went to a drugstore. I waited 10 minutes for someone to unlock the case where the razors were being held and bought a four pack of razor blades and some shaving cream. And it wasn't the best purchase experience to say the least. And then I walked out and I looked into my bag and I had a receipt for over 25 bucks with products and brands that didn't really speak to me as a customer. I just felt like there had to be a better way. And, uh, and so that's basically the inspiration of this is that we're going to make better razors and better razor blades and we're going to make the purchasing and buying experience good and and fun and uh and and we're going to save you guys money so that's basically what they do uh win they, win 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 that's that's right and they, that's like that's a quint that's a quinta win they sell their razor blades for ha- about half the price of of a uh, razor blade you'll buy in a store and they started working with these guys in Germany because I guess they were researching blades for a long time and who makes the best blades and the sharpest blades. And they found this factory in Germany that was actually making like the best razor blades. And they started working with them and, and the company became successful and they bought the factory. So now they own this factory in Germany that makes the sharpest, strongest blades ever. Huh, that's and, quite a twist on the on the Gillette story. Yeah, right. And half yeah. the price. And uh, and convenience and or, or, or an ease of ordering online. They've got a beautiful website. They send it to your door, and uh, and 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 it's beautiful. So we. Uh, I, I, can I jump in? Yeah. 
I'm going to reveal some things about myself here, Dan. Is that okay? Can I do that on the air? Yeah, I mean, check with the check with the tiger. No, it's, it's just, here's my th- tiger here, here, will allow it. I'm gonna I'm gonna say a couple things. One thing is we had some uh, last minute changes with sponsorship stuff. Can I say this? Yeah. And you said to me, uh, "Well, we got to put somebody in. Who should who should we put in? Just pick somebody. We'll you know give them one on the strength." Yeah. And I, what I say, I said one word. I said Harry's. Because right. here's what happened to me. Here's what happened to me. So um, I had uh, where were we going? Oh, I think we were going to that. Uh, that auction thing for my kid's school. So I had to shave, you know, also it's, it's a month with an R in it. So I had to shave, uh, just this once. Now, anyway, so I, literally, honestly, I go to Walgreens, the Walgreens I go to, eh, let me check here on the 10 key 14 times a day. I know everybody in there by their first name and I go in there and I got to go buy some of these dumb blades. Now Walgreens like Safeway, nothing against Walgreens. Everything they do is nice. But the thing is, they have gotten so paranoid. They don't really sell anything anymore. They have, they have aisles that are just filled with yellow signs that say this stuff is somewhere else. And then you go and you get a customer service person to come and help you and unlock the goods from wherever they're actually located. Right. You point to the sign and say, I want some of those, the sharp things for my face. <laughs> so I have to go and I have to, I have to go and, and, and say to somebody, bug somebody who's walking around at the understaffed Walgreens and say, I need a razor. Can, can, you, uh, can you unlock a razor for me? This is, but it's so funny you should say this because it's exactly what happened. So I stand there. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. They come up. Now, first of all, also, they don't really sell refills anymore at Walgreens. I guess there's no money in refills. So you got to buy like a new blade. So I couldn't buy refills for my current. um, You got to buy the razor and the the little pack. I had to buy another of the major brand razor that I already have in order to get the razor blades that I want. And then, uh, are you ready for this? I went home. uh, I used it. I shaved. Um, The next day, I got a package in the mail because Harry's had decided to send the hosts of this show. Mm Mm-hmm. Harry's package and I felt like a dope and it was so beautiful. I put it on Twitter. It was so nice. It comes with this, this awesome shaving cream. Um, it's all beautifully packaged. I, I, and, and then as soon as I posted that, it was really delightful because a lot of people came out of the woodwork to say, I love their stuff. They do great stuff. So anyway, I, I don't mean to go on here. I love all of our sponsors. Um, I appreciate their support, but, uh, I just wanted to say especially thanks to them because they reached out, reached out. Did I say that? Ugh. They mailed me shaving stuff, mm-hmm. and it was really cool. And I uh, and I and I loved it. I used it. I shaved Dan. I shaved three times this week. I didn't Whoa! Even have to, didn't even have to. It's crazy stuff. So well, anyway, they, they're giving they're giving a, uh, a a discount. Now I have to use a code because they're coming out with a new code for us for the next run of it. But since we're kind of pulling this one in sideways, the code is going to be quit. So uh, you go to uh, Harry's dot com, and the promo code is quit Q U I T. You will save $5 off your first purchase. Let's go check out our friends over at harrys.com. Is there anything specific we need to tell people? We've gotten a couple emails from people who got confused. There was some confusion about how to use the code. You need to add the blades. You need to add it to your cart before. Well, you... that was a thing with the free thing, but I think this should just work. But put the stuff in your cart, and then when you're ready to check out, you put, put in the code. I think that's all they need. They should need to do. I think the code had expired because it was they were using an old code or something. Anyway. I hate shaving, and uh, and they, they they make it fun, and they're and they're good people doing good work. So our thanks to uh, Harry's for uh, supporting Five by Five and back to work. Do you do egging or anything like that when you're e- doing Easter? Do you egg, uh, dye eggs or is that an Urban Dictionary thing? No, is that like a donkey punch? No, no, no. Um, we egg, we egged. I egged the other day, my daughter and I did some egging. I think I'm getting less creative. I I, I mainly am, I just want to kind of get it over with. Now we boil eggs. I hard boil them in this case. I usually soft boil them for my own uh, gustatory needs. But I, I boil these suckers hard. And uh, yeah, we did the pause. <laughs> but here's can I, can I just say one thing? Not to be all John Syracuse, but but you get the box, and the box has the little punch out things, so you can put your stupid eggs in the stupid box to dry. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're a little kid. 
and you bring that home from the store, what's the first thing you're going to do? Punch you tear it open, yeah. you punch out every hole, you throw everything everywhere. Can I point out that the directions for how to dye the eggs, and there are directions, are on the punched out hole parts. Mm. I, had to, I had to sit there with scotch tape, sticky tape, as you say, and reassemble the whole thing to know how to make an egg. Sickening. Because the thing is, you, you don't want to put vinegar into the, if memory serves, purple and yellow. Do you egg? We, uh, we did. And Egg is not primary in our house. It's really all about the chocolate in our house. Oh, we're eating, eating chocolate? I mean, the eggs are fun. Do you do an Easter egg hunt? Do you have like a backyard thing or is there a thing with the school? Or It's not a, you know what, to be honest, that's not one of our like hard and fast habits. Uh, we didn't do it this year, but we did, we did dye them. But the bunny, the bunny went a little bit over the top this year and, and made our daughter a wonderful basket and then wrapped it in cellophane, which she had requested specifically so that it was fancy. And, uh, and she was, she woke up at four, found it outside her door and then every so nice. 20 minutes, every 20 minutes until 6 a.m., she, she sobbed to be able to open it. <laughs> I said, that's not how it works. Bunny's yeah. got rules. Go to sleep. Daddy's <laughs> angry. Yeah. I'll give you something Easter about. What do you, so tell me about your household. Uh, we just, you know, normal, normal morning. And when, when the, this complaining became enough, uh, finally we you know, went outside and... <laughs> They ran around the backyard finding the eggs and we had to, you know, again, with a six and a half year old and a two and a half year old, they can't really compete with each other for eggs because the six and a half year old will win and he will get all the eggs. So we'd put his eggs all around the, the edges of the fence along the yard <laughs> to distract him and said, Make, all of, we further. said, all of yours are on the outside. That's where all of yours are. And uh, uh, MJ, all of yours are, you know. Basically, just laying on the 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 lawn, so you'll find them, and and that worked. It actually worked. It actually worked really well. That's a good. That's a good strategy. It's hard with kids, and they get really even not normally competitive kids get very competitive when it comes to finding eggs. I think it's probably biological. As far as who can. <laughs> No, my Neil Tyson DeGrasse. What do I? I don't know these things. Don't get the what tiger. Am, what, am I, what, am, what am I? What am I? The tiger. What am I? Uh, the cosmos guy. Who 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 am I? But Doc, that's a, is it a, a religious celebration for you as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. No, there's one scene in X Men uh, Two, X Men United, where they go and find Kurt at the church in uh, Boston, mm -hmm. and I've had to start explaining why there's a sad man nailed to a board in the background. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, Kurt. Kurt's very devout. He's a very devout uh, yeah. Roman Catholic. And speaking of Kurt. Mm -hmm. I had to explain uh, last night uh, why Nirvana was not a band anymore, and oh. uh, and and so I, I had to explain because I'd put it off multiple times. I had to explain not just that uh, Kurt Cobain killed himself, but why. Uh, because he's, Cash was very interested in, in this. He wanted to hear about it. He wanted to understand why bands... Because whenever I put on, uh, you know, I'll play, play some music and I'll say, is this guy alive anymore? And I'll say, yeah, he's, he's still alive. Or no, he died. Why did he die? Oh, well, you know, he was, he was very uh, old and he died. Oh, okay. And then so we're listening to... And a lot of... The, he's very, very good with music. So he knows the Foo Fighters pretty well. And so I played him... Uh, uh, territorial pissings from Nirvana, which he liked a lot. 
And he and I said, who who do who do you think this band is? Do you know this band? And he says, well, it sounds like Foo Fighters. I said, very good. Uh, I said, uh, I said it's it's actually Nirvana and Dave Roll from you know I told him the whole thing. And he says, well, who's the guy singing? I said, well, that's Kurt Cobain. Like he spoke for my generation, man. He's like, well, is he still alive anymore? I said, no, he died. He said, well, how did he die? I said, well, I'll tell you when you're older. I've been avoiding it. I hate to I hate to admit it, but. It's come up. It's there's you know I told you things that involve self harm. I I don't know. I always find very thorny. Like you know, like when uh, Angel's trying to cut his wings off in that X Men movie. That's inappropriate. Yeah, I don't like that. That's a cheese. That's a tough scene. That's no good. Um, I've been kind of avoiding it, but you know, sometimes we'll just be sitting there listening to the public radio and like, oh no, there's a woman in Utah who had six babies in boxes at her house. And uh, you know, I'm certainly. And never going to be the guy to say, what do I think of the children? Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, oh, God, you know, oh, I don't want to really have to explain. You know, we were talking, we were, <clears throat> nothing matters, but I mean, we were coming over from the library yesterday, got some library books, and we were talking about uh, one of the edgier, awesome things I've shown her, surprisingly, and her mother does not like this. There's a DC Wonder Woman cartoon that's really good. But surprisingly, like pushing PG thirteen, I don't know what the rating is, but it's it's got a mention of her rack in it at one point. Uh, there are, I think, no spoilers, two beheadings in it, and uh, but it's really good and really funny, really fast paced, awesome. Uh, Diana, really really fun, uh, updated Wonder Woman. Anyway, I'll, I'll find it for notes. But uh, she's like, yeah, those. She says, oh yeah, those beheadings are cool, and she said it just enough in that voice that she says when something kind of freaked her out a little mm-hmm. bit. I was oh like, right, I, right. I was like, I'm, you know, it's too boring. Like I, I, <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm really sorry you saw it. That was such a good cartoon. I wish we could not have to see those parts. She said, no, I really liked it. I said, well, you know, it's okay that you liked it, but this is hard to explain. But there's some stuff that's it's just you should get to be a kid for a while yeah. before you see too many beheadings. Right. That's something that is a tradition, you know, and uh, <laughs> you get to you get to not have to. Think about somebody's head getting lopped off by yeah. a god, you know. Um, so shame on DC. Anyway, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. She kicks some serious butt in this. It's really fun. Um, a little fast and loose with the uh, mythology stuff, but you know. But that's you know that's the thing. It's like it's a weird, and you don't plan on. So I'm I'm ex- I'm explaining it to him, and I'm I'm like <laughs> you're dance planning. Yeah, and I'm like, hmm. Well, you know. So so I said, well. Uh, you know, he's like, oh, how did he die? I said, well, he committed suicide. You know what that means? He says, yeah, that means you kill yourself. I said, oh, so you know about this? He said, oh, yeah, I know about that. Why did he do it? And so I'm like, well, you know, he was he was sad and he didn't talk to his friends about it and all, you know. And of course, it's like, how do you distill down something that's complicated that we don't actually really know the answer to into something that you could explain to a six and a half year old? And, uh, you know, it just it's kind of weird, like. It's a strange, these are the kind of conversations you don't necessarily anticipate when you decide, I think I'll be a parent. No, especially when you're a smart ass. Like I, I, I never, <laughs> there's so much of that stuff I never parsed. Yeah. But, but I, what I can remember is uh, just a couple general types of things. One is stuff that in retrospect was, you know, given all the kinds of stuff you see in here when you're a kid, sometimes just things that were like surprisingly like scary and creep me out. Mm. Like, uh, who was I talking to about this? Uh, oh, Sean Hussey. We we're talking about um, Pinocchio and how scary Pinocchio still is. <clears throat> and, you know, when they turn into donkeys and stuff like yeah. that. Or like or like the Errol Flynn Robin Hood. 
there's this, I seem to remember this like torture scene in it that just like scared the crap out of me. It was all I could think about for days and it, it totally haunted me. But then there's the other kinds of things that were both, that were like kind of strangely fascinating and absorbing and scary in a very compelling way. Well, suicide being the very, very far end of that. Like, it's sort of like, uh, like when he, a kid thinking about suicide is probably a little bit like a kid thinking about ordering a fillet of fish. Like you could imagine that it happens in the world, but you'd never see yourself doing it. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing, Dan. And so, uh, but then there's stuff just about like the idea of what is forever, like what is infinity? What is those kinds of things? I remember sitting around and practically being like eight or nine and practically feeling like I was tripping as I sat and thought about those things. And now that she's kicking my butt in Monument Valley and is just about to finish Monument Valley, we've been talking about optical illusions. And now she's super interested in like, that's impossible. Look at that. You turn that and that turns from here to here. That, that's not possible. I was like, yes, it's exactly right. That's what makes it an optical illusion. Mm-hmm. So there's, that's the thing though, is that like a little kid is a little machine for misunderstanding the world in interesting ways. Like you take all this information about stuff you kind of understand and try to comply, uh, uh, apply it contextually to the stuff that you don't understand. And the results are always interesting and we end up laughing and stuff like that. But, you know, I think it's harder on the parents and the kids a lot of the time. They'll get over a lot of that. A lot of my friends in, uh, in the UK have told me that it's okay. Like a guy English in particular, like, don't worry, every little kid in England is scared of Daleks. Like that's just, that's part of growing up, especially in England is being like Wales, I guess, being scared of Daleks. Like that's a totally normal thing. But you know, it's when they're confronted with something that I think, I don't, I'm just, I'm not a child psychologist as you know, Dan, but I imagine that there are some kinds of things that are virtually irresolvable at a certain age. And that's the kinds of things I just as soon, you know, keep her away from. She'll have plenty of time to be screwed up. She should be screwed up in manageable ways. No. Right. Right. Manageable. Yeah. No, but I know what you mean. It's like there's certain things that you see when you're a kid that kind of stay with you. What do you remember? What do you remember? Uh, Han Solo being tortured at uh, Cloud City. Yeah, like that freaked me out. Or the not Cloud City, the first, uh, the the first movie I think uh, where they've got the yeah the little you know black door there like interrogating him like uh, the well, scan like grid. Robot, I think it's when called the robot torture thing comes into Princess Leia's cell and the door slams. Yeah, shut. like that kind of stuff. I like that. Was, I still think that's scary. Well, so like it's it's horrible, and and like it like this is something I still remember from being a kid. Now I watch it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's not that bad. But it, you know, the these kinds of things like stay with you, and I'm doing my best to not create uh, that for him by telling him about Kurt Cobain killing himself. Like I don't want him thinking about that yet at all. I don't want to be the guy who like. Oh, yeah, I remember when my dad told me that people kill themselves. You know, I remember when I was a little kid, uh, and, and I thought euthanasia was youth in Asia. I figured it was the name of a punk band. Yeah, and, and so, like, I didn't understand it. I remember asking my parents, what's euthanasia? Why do they keep talking about euthanasia? And they're like, don't worry about that. And I'm, but then it made me want to know more. So I figure if they – I, I take the, the, the route of the Buddha, and if you ask three times, I'll answer you. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I I mean, this is really kind of a morose topic, but when when you get the suicide, I guess it's good because it's not good, but it's an interesting <laughs> example because suicide. <laughs> yeah, you know what's awesome is suicide. Um, <laughs> today you kill yourself for thirty nine ninety five. Uh, the uh, <laughs> don't use that. The um, I, won't. I part of the problem is though that 
in order to get to suicide in anything that's even approaching a meaningful way, there's a whole, there's at least three or four other topics that you would have to be able to broach sanely before you get to suicide is a lot to cover. I feel bad we're even talking about this because it's, this isn't what you would, this wasn't on your list of. No, no, I still want to talk about the other thing. And yeah, it's a trigger thing for some people. So, you know, but you know, it, 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 it's difficult enough to try and dis- describe depression to a child. Yeah. For oh, yeah. Like, how do you do that? Like, oh, oh, you know, honey, let's let's pause Kiki's Delivery Service for a minute and talk about something called desperation. Desperation is when you feel like you just can't go on. Do you have any questions? Like, no, you don't want to do that with a little kid. And then, of course, even just the very idea of, you know, the idea of people taking a life in general. I mean, in comic books, you know, you see it all the time and it's what they, what do they say, cartoon violence. It doesn't make it good, but it's not the same as like really thinking about, you know, like really thinking about the origin story of Batman. Like that, you think about that, that was in a kid's comic book. Oh my God, what a chilling story. You know, yeah. and, and I guess depending on the telling of it, was it in the one story, like they're watching Zorro and they decide to leave early. But however it is, like, it's usually presented as Bruce's dad is doing him a favor because he's scared of the bats or whatever. They're watching Deflator Mouse and leave. However, whichever version you watch. Yeah. But, you know, your dad and mom were being nice to you, and then they got murdered in an alley. And it's mm-hmm. like, you know, that's a lot to foist on a little kid. Boy, mm-hmm. this is heavy, Dan. We should talk mm-hmm. about email. Let's do it. Email. If people want us to talk more about these kinds of morose topics, we could do that. Let's let, let them weigh in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay, so here's something. <laughs> here's something, and I, I don't want to. Um, I, I don't want to turn this into like an overly unnecessarily dramatic thing, as I think this link bait, this, this other link bait article wants this to be. But this was sent in. <laughs> the email for this one's funny. I don't know if I can use this person's name, but uh, here's here's the two sentence email. <clears throat> this guy colon limited access to email equals BS equals lazy link new line show is awesome no period so that thank you to, to the listener for that because yeah. it's actually a very that was a pretty great email that that this this is a person who knows how to send an email which is interesting because the topic of this is this is on the uh the entirely uh, credible and um uh very very worthwhile site business insider mm-hmm. and the headline is wall street analyst officially declares the end of quote limited access to email as an excuse for anyone inhabiting earth what a horrible headline it seems like an onion kind of headline so setting aside the uh, the melodramatic link bait headline, it's not even that this is such an interesting story, but it's a very interesting topic to me. So I'm not sure why anybody thought that this was something worth writing, but they did. Uh, Morgan Stanley's chief uh, equity analyst, Adam Parker, da, 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 is not buying our, your excuse that you don't have access to email. Uh, this is from a new note to clients. Parker writes that he got an email from someone uh, saying they had, quote, limited access to email. He proceeds to explain how that's a lame excuse in this day and age. To use the phrase, I have limited access to email. The whole first paragraph is talking about how he travels a lot. That's just not true. No matter where you go, he's been to uh, in the, uh, 30 states and 15 countries in the last year, and he could get email pretty much anywhere. Um, Mumbai, Bangalore, the Netherlands. Uh, we've been to these places in the last several months. Do people think that, that this excuse, limited access to my email, works anymore? It's an anachronism. I guess magically, all these people are vacationing in Easter Island, naming their own icebergs. Anyway, it still goes on in a very humorous way. (laughs) And then it kind of gets to the money shot here. The internet wasn't readily available in 1994 around the globe. It is now. It's like saying we can't afford to call grandma because it's a long-distance call and that's expensive. 
Um, that was a valid reason in 1979 and so forth. Um, but now what people really mean is I am tired or feeling lazy and feel I have earned the right to not check my email. <laughs> Unquote. What they mean in the second place is, quote, I don't feel like talking to my wife's mother right now, so I'm not going to let my kids talk to her either. Unquote. Wow, that's quite a stretch. Let's be serious. Access to email is ubiquitous, and the incremental margin of a long-distance phone call is zero today. Therefore, the logic has clearly been proved. Uh, history can sometimes just be irrelevant or misleading, so on and so forth. Um, uh, part of the equity, part of the equity strategist's job is to make a glossary for investors to translate certain phrases, uh, help investors make better investment decisions, to call baloney on management or investor phrase, uh, phrases, and expose why they might be anachronisms, uh, or where at least history might be irrelevant or misleading. Times change. So I'm sorry I read that at length, but I wanted to at least be able to get out his point, which I hear his point of view. I think his examples are probably imperfect Mm -hmm. in terms of trying to make the point. But before I say any more, what did you think of this uh, article? Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I definitely think this says something because on the one hand, it seems like it's a reaction. I mean, very much this email that he sends out. It's the kind of thing you write when somebody didn't write you back fast enough. And it sounds like he had a bee in his bonnet because somebody said this to him. Yeah. Like, oh, I was away. I couldn't respond. I was, I was away from my email. I mean, it's true. I, I, the last time that I was away from my email in a meaningful way, it was a very long time ago. And it, it was a, like, as you say, I had to take steps. You know, I had to execute a plan that would ensure that I was away f- and going to be away from my email. It wasn't just something that happened by accident or it didn't happen when I left work. And I remember for a lot of people back in my CC Mel's administration days and my Lotus Notes administration days, that email was something that you did at work. Right. And even people who had computers at home, if they were getting online with their modems, uh, it wasn't really to check email that might happen, but it was more, you know, the you've got mail joke. Well, like, that was a big – like you didn't get a lot of email and people were going online to check their personal email. But like email was a work thing and right. computers for a lot of people were a work thing. And back then also, I mean not, not, nothing's ever been the same for everybody ever. But I think it was more common at that time to have a, a less urgent attitude about expecting people as he, as he seeds here in 1994. It was, there was less of an expectation that people – would get, let alone respond to your email anywhere near like they do today. Yeah. But I think that's a very telling thing for him to, to point that out the way yeah. that he does here. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, I, I, I just, I kind of want to go Cyrano on this, but, but hopefully in, in a useful way, I think there's a lot of things about this that, that are very telling. I think what he's describing here is something that's very, um, a very common belief. And the, the irony of it is that it's the very attitude that he has here that makes us come up with, euphemisms like I'm going to be away from email. It's the, the way that work has changed, the climate of how it's changed, that those expectations have gone up so high. I mean, I think another way, if he wanted to be a real tool, another way he could say this, I expect everybody to do a crappy job all the time. I want everybody to be available to do a crappy job all the time. Because you can't do real work all the time yeah. in the same way that everybody expects you to do it. <laughs> that, would, that would make you an automat. 
like that you would be like a, a sandwich vending machine at that point that that's about what you would get out of somebody by expecting this kind of access all the time no it really and it's really different and you feel different every day maybe you wake up and your back hurts maybe you have a cold maybe you didn't sleep well maybe you slept really well maybe you ran uh in the morning and you've you're amped up like every day is a little bit different and the yeah. way that you feel about your work obligations versus your home obligations are different every day and you know maybe you've got a you know, you've got a sick kid. Like there's so many different things that go on that change your perspective and your thoughts. And, and, and I, I remember a guy I used to work with and like he came in almost to the minute at the same time every day and he took a, his lunch break at the same time every day and he left for work at almost the same, same time every day. And he was like the most consistent worker in the whole department. And, you know, whereas there were other folks who would, you know, they'd work uh, like like me, where you'd work really hard for a week and the next week you just kind of like browse the web. And, uh, I, you know, but it's almost like it makes me think about that. It's like people are now the expectation is, uh, you know, uh, is different. It, it's it's that you are available all the time. You are reachable right. all the time. And well, that's why that's why I want to say, you know, that I'm thinking that. The thing in Cyrano where he c- composes the ballad about how much, how m- all the different ways that he could have said this guy has, the guy could have said that Cyrano has a big nose, one of my all time favorite scenes. Cause there's like, to me, there's a whole, there's a numerous levels to what's problematic about a world where everybody starts thinking this way. Um, so, I mean, just a few off the top. First of all, what you're describing, I think that's true, but it's not even as complicated as what you're describing. Yes, it is true that sometimes you have a bad day and sometimes your kids are sick, but I think there's something much more fundamental at at the core of his assumption, um, which is that, well, let's, let's say, let's say what this guy seems to be saying. This guy strikes me as a consumer of information, not a, not a producer of information. Right. So what he's not saying here is I can't believe more people aren't calling me in the middle of the night. It really seems like, it seems like a flaw in our work life that I am not bothered more often by people with whatever's occurring to them at a given time. Because that's kind of what he's, what he's, the world that he's asking for in some ways is that, where mm-hmm. it's just okay for him to expect and be able to demand that people do stuff in the way that he wants, when he wants it, regardless of all that, that panoply of different ways that your life can be complicated. I'm thinking of one, a very specific instance, though, which is that, I mean, there's some kinds of stuff I, I, I don't and won't do on a mobile device. If, you know, it, the thing is, it's not, not all emails are created equal. So when you send an email to somebody, uh, sure, I, I guess this guy, if, if he has a close, let's put it this way, if he has a close relationship with a group of three to five people mm-hmm. that he works with every day, and one person in that group is not up to the standards that everybody else have agreed to, that's a great opportunity for him to go talk to the whole team, really, about how things are going. Am I the only one who's bothered by this? Is it, is it just Joe Jack that's having tr- troubles here? Like, do we need to do anything differently? But I don't think that's even what he's saying. I think what he's saying is I want every, I want everybody to be like how I think I am, which is somebody who I'm guessing probably sends a lot of email, asks a lot of people to do stuff, and then is pretty taciturn about their ability to do it in the way that he expects. But in my case, even something that sounds so silly, but like if I'm, if I'm like, sometimes like you'll send me a photo, for example, Uh like we'll send each other a photo and like, I don't respond to it immediately. It's not because... I don't like you. It's because I'm doing something at the time. I know you know this, yeah. but there's, uh, but then like this morning, um, or like, was it yesterday? I said, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I was, I forget what I was doing, but I was doing something else and I couldn't respond. And I said as much, you know, if I'm doing something with my kid, if I'm giving her a bath, I'm not going to ask her to just sit there in the cold water while I deal with J random strangers 
request. In the case of even something as seemingly simple as a calendar event, you know me and calendars, right? So, so you know, Mr. Mr. Fancy email says, hey, right now, let me know, you know, can you meet me in London on this date, for example, whatever. This is a random example, and it might be a straw man. But man, to somebody else, that's a simple yes or no question. Mm-hmm. And to me, there's so many things I would have to look at in order to answer that question, even halfway intelligently. Not least of which is, I would want to say, uh, well, you know, I'm out with my kid right now. I, I, <laughs> I can't say yes or no. If you need an answer now, the answer is no, has been my policy for mm-hmm. 10 years. If you need an answer today, it's no. But if you want a maybe yes, then I'm going to have to do something more than just tell my daughter to, to, to sit here and stare at the movie while I play with my phone. So I would have to go and see, is that date available? What am I doing the days before? What am I doing the days after? I want to go and find out how much the travel is going to cost to go there. All kinds of silly stuff that if you're only seeing the world as a provider of yes answers, loses all subtlety. And, you know, I just want to say shame on all the people in the world who don't take that kind of luxury from time to time to actually think about what response they want. So I could sit there and check my phone all the time, but then now that's my job. Now my job is I sit here and monitor this for angry people who want things from me that that I can never really provide to their satisfaction. So, yes, on the one hand, I think it's a little tone deaf to not realize that everybody in the world doesn't operate the same way that you do. If there are people who report to you, you can certainly make requests of them. You can certainly try to find a better environment for making that work. But, you know, problem zero is that the whole world's different and you can't really demand those things of other people. Yeah. And then to try and turn that into like, you're, you're pretending like this is a long distance call. No, that's not what, I don't think that's what people are saying at all. I, I, I think that, and there's, there's a deeper, deeper level to this, but I want you, I want you to be able to respond, but I, I guess I just feel like it's really toned after something that everybody should know as a knowledge worker by now, which is that we all have jobs that are difficult to understand. Even people you work with, you may not fully understand their job, let alone their life. My mm-hmm. gosh, what a luxury that would be to try and understand somebody else's life and understand their motivations as being even just slightly different from your best world version of yourself and your own motivations. Right. No, and that's something that it's so hard because you – you know, even even people that you're very close to, even people you're really good friends with or, or family members or just in general like people that you know, trying to understand their decision-making process or what they were thinking at a certain time or – you know, it, like it, it it's – that's one of the big challenges of human life, you know? I mean I don't want to make this too big of a conversation, but is that – that's kind of what you're saying. I think that's part of it. I got a um, direct message from a mutual friend of ours who was saying, are, are you mad at me because you hadn't responded to this email? I'm totally understandable because I hadn't. Well, there's an email this person had sent me about being in town a couple weeks ago and I didn't respond just because I'm an idiot. I knew I wouldn't be able to go out and I didn't, I, like a lot of people who send these things, it was pretty, pretty soon before they were going to be here. It doesn't matter, but it happens to me all the time. And now that person thinks I don't like them. And they sent another email yesterday and I hadn't responded to that. And I said, oh my God, no, I, I adore you. I'm so sorry that I gave you that impression. I would love to do this thing with you. And I, I apologize. I'm a shut in. I don't really go anywhere. <laughs> I should have responded sooner. But, you know, honestly, though, then I also then become this person that's just constantly writing people to say what I can't do, which takes a lot of time, too. But yeah. no, but you're right. We all we can do is try to pick up clues about what we see from other people. And but but I you know, and this kind of goes back to the joke. And there was a joke to the tiger. I was not actually trying to be mean, but I was trying to highlight a point that I think is pretty common, uh, a situation that happens a lot, which is that we make a lot of snap judgments about how other people think 
based on what we think we know about them, mm-hmm. whether or not we actually know the first thing about them. And, and we have, we have this, we have total confidence to go make these judgments about strangers based on virtually no information apart from our own suspicions about the world and fears about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that if we conduct our lives always trying to figure out whether the thing we're scared about is worth being scared about, um, there's ways to do that that can be very mindful. And then there's ways to do that that are bat crap insane. So, so I mean, I guess I don't, I'm a little over the map, all over the map here. But first, first thing is that, like I say, and I'll make the joke again, I don't think this guy is saying, I wish more people bug me all the time, regardless of what country I'm in. You ever pay roaming overseas? I, I've told you what I paid for roaming yeah, when, yeah, we went, when we went to uh, New Zealand. We paid something like $600 just in roaming. Oh my God. That's what it would cost me in order to be accessible to anybody whom it suits all the time, 24-7 globally. Let alone, my God, the entire world that you give away by letting people think that that's okay all the time. So, you know, it'd be interesting to hear some responses from people that this guy works with. Maybe they think, you know, it'd be funny because I bet some of them think probably he could respond to stuff faster too. They might think that his signal to noise ratio is not very good. They might think that there's a lot of stuff in this culture that we could improve if we were in a position to have less dramatic conversations Mm -hmm. about how we work together for 10 years at a time. But... I, I am kind of stuck back at that first square, though, of like not acknowledging that other people work in different ways and at different schedules than you do, and you know, and then and then the fact that you you know we use phrases, as I say, we end up using phrases like "I'm not going to have easy access to email" because that's that's the only way that we can create these walls that we need to create. Because if we don't create that, then we give our entire life away for provisional notional accessibility to an entire universe of strangers, I think. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's that giving away part. I think that's, that's key. And I keep trying to think of, gosh, that's just too much of a segue. I'll, we'll do that on another show. Uh, so what do people, I mean, what are, what are we supposed to do about that? What if our, what if this dude is like our boss, right? And like, you can never be, I mean, how, how would that feel? And I've, I think I kind of was there a number of years ago, like when I was still doing software development and, you know, you get, you get this interesting, you know, email from your boss. It's like, we're going to be paying for your cell phone from now on. And it's, you know, whatever it is a month, we'll, we'll pay for that because we want to make sure you're reachable. Right. We want to make sure that we can reach you if we need to. I don't think they, <laughs> what a, what a, what a nice perk. Right. And so great. Like I really want my hundred dollar a month cell phone bill paid for. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't like I could say no, but you know, there, there was that. And, and so that's, you know, that's nice because that's what I used to do phone calls with them. And I used it for, you know, messaging, email and other things. But now I kind of knew that, and they didn't ever abuse it to their credit, never once really abused it. Like the very few times that I was actually called outside of regular working hours, there really was something horribly wrong that I wanted to know and needed to fix but just the idea of that it, it's almost like this allegiance or an ownership or something like you were saying is is in place now well yeah and there's i think there's a lot of reasons for that not least of which is that we're always looking for ways to improve productivity not in the sense of like am i getting my to-do list done but productivity in the sense of you know number of widgets created per hour mm-hmm. per employee mm-hmm. and so something like that could 
could theoretically make you more productive. Having, having that phone around all the time sounds like a great idea because it means that all those people who are smarter and better paid than you can come up with their million-dollar ideas anytime it suits them and have you implementing them in the middle of the night if right. it suits them. Even if you never get that call, it's like the guy who hasn't vomited since 1977 but still has right. extreme fear of vomiting. Right. He wakes up every day with the same fear of vomiting, even though he hasn't vomited since Star Wars came out. So you might wake up every day with that phone, and even if it doesn't ring, when it does ring, it'll give you a heart attack. Because, again, it's that expectation that we haven't probed very much. We all just kind of nod along and say, oh, yes, this is very good. It's nice to be remote. It's nice to have all these things. But if the expectation, if you allow that expectation to stay out there, that whoever is going to be the noisiest, well, I don't, I don't want to put it negatively, but I, I think it's not unusual for somebody who's sort of the, the loudest opinion maker in an, in an office or, or work environment, for that person to kind of, like for us to sort of unintentionally let them set the tone mm. for how we work with each other where, you know, that makes it okay that lots of stuff is just kind of out there. But look at that example you gave of the person you work with who came in on time and left on time and, and was more productive than everyone else. That's, um, that's, that's an interesting case study is somebody who says, look, you know, it could be they have another job. It could be they have to have do childcare, but something, but it's amazing how many times I've been in places where I thought that that person was so boring. But if you looked at like 12 months, how much over 12 months, how much that person got done, they're like the tortoise that just kept, you know, slow and steady winning the race. I was that hare that might really tear it up for two all nighters mm-hmm. and then be really logy for two weeks after right, that. Right. I thought I was being really productive. That's not a healthy and sustainable way to approach your work. If you don't want somebody to burn out, you have to respect the fact that, I mean, I think you have to respect the fact that, like, first of all, in this world of you of like ubiquitous access, you're going to have to suffer a certain amount of people looking at Facebook and things like that, because I think that's something people do. But I think it's also a good idea to, to set a tone that says, well, here's what we expect of you at the office. And like, here's the rules of the road for if we need to do stuff with you when you're not here. So, you know, if there are times when you're like on call, you go like, okay, like one weekend out of eight, I'm on call for whatever thing that is. Like you might be the one who has to run in and do something with servers or something like that. Then I think that's very manageable, but that's not how it is in a lot of places. In a lot of places they say, oh no, we have this great technological leap called email. So if anything goes wrong, 150 people get the same email with no specific expectation about what to do about it, except that something bad just happened. Mm -hmm. And then you run around like 150 chickens with 150 heads cut off, trying to figure out what to do about it, instead of having an actual grown-up plan where one person's responsible for that and understands how they have to change their outside of the office life in order to meet that expectation for this time-limited amount of time. So anyway, I... It's this is it's silly on fifty levels, I guess. I mean, this is a it's kind of a silly site. It's probably a silly article. It is link baity. I only say it here because I think it's not that far off of a, a non obvious problem. The obvious problem is, well, there's a bunch of tools out there running around their Porsche sending texts all the time. <laughs> the less obvious problem is the one of assuming that everybody else will conform to the way that we see the, the world. So even setting aside the hypocrisy of somebody who's not that great at this, which can be a real bummer if it's somebody that's in power, but just I think it's I think it's worth looking at things like this and kind of in a somewhat sympathetic way look looking at that, but then understanding that like this just shows you how many conversations we're not having a lot of the time. Where I you know I bet some people will see this article in the show notes and they could derive really different ideas about what we thought this article meant just by virtue of the fact it was in there. Are we, are we actually saying we agree with this and then it's lame 
to not answer email as soon as people send it? Like, you know, what, what are we, without knowing what we actually said about it, what do you think people think we're going to say here? You know what I mean? Because I think it's hard to know. It's hard to know what people are going to think. So I don't know. I just, uh, I, I don't, I don't mean to like beat up on this guy, except that that tone is really strong and it's a little, it's kind of a bully thing to do. It's a little, you know, it's a little bit of a bully thing to be able to just call the entire world lazy because they aren't acting the way that you expected them to. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of difficult for me to believe, not difficult to believe. It's sad to think that somebody could be in such a position of power that has such a, uh, such a one dimensional idea or two dimensional idea about how human beings operate. Well, and that's, that's, but that's everywhere. Like somebody has this perspective and, you know, people listen, like people in authority, people in positions of influence, which is, which is the definition of power, right? Like this is the prevalent. I don't think anybody would bat an eye if I walked out and said, everybody, I'm paying for your cell phones, but you know, you got to be available all the time, or there is no such thing as away from email. And I've definitely worked with people even, you know, recently who, when they leave, like they're done. And I remember, I'm I'm reminded of, this was about eight years ago, maybe a little more. I was living in North Carolina and uh, a friend of, of, of mine um, and I were, uh, he worked for a company that did software development and I was sort of freelancing for them. And I didn't know a lot of people in North Carolina. I was new to the Raleigh-Durham area and I, you know, he was, he was pretty cool. And he said, well, why don't we, you know, why don't we hang out? Like we can, you know, we can meet. And I said, okay, cool. Because, you know, this project that I'm working on, I was wondering if we could talk about it. And he's like, uh, no, like, why not? What? Yeah. He's like, now, uh, we can talk about that during the week, uh, after work and weekends, you know, I'm not, I'm not working there, you know, like that was, he's done. He works nine to five or, or nine to seven, whatever his hours were after that. He's like, I'm like, oh, well I'm kind of always working. I'm always thinking about stuff. It doesn't really matter to me if it's the weekend or if it's during the week, but he was full time for the place and I was freelance running my own business. And it really struck me that what I had sort of, I know this is a a different topic, but I had sort of given up the ability to be away from those kinds of things. I think when you're a freelancer or you're running a business, you know, you're always That expectation kind of benefited you in some ways, right? Yeah. But for him, it was like, I don't, I'm not working on the weekends unless there's like a special project or an emergency, like weekends are me. And during the week that was for them when he's at work, he's doing stuff for other people. And when he's not at work, that's his. And he's, he at the time was possessive of that. Now he's since gone on to like run his own business and do it. And we, we often joke about that. I'm like, do you remember those old, the old days when you didn't work after 6 PM? He's like, Oh yeah, that, uh, but it, but that's his, that's his decision. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. He decided when starting a business, he accepted, right. he mindfully accepted that those are things that he has to do a certain way now. Yeah. There's no hypocrisy in that at all. No. That, that he's just decided to do something differently. That's a good point. That's a good point. Congratulations. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's that. Yeah. I, I was, I was very much the same way for, for a very long time. I, you know, when we, when we think about all this stuff, it's okay to jump in here. Please. Um, when we think about all this stuff with productivity, I think, you know, there's always the image you start out thinking of somebody as being like a, like a Kathy cartoon 
you know, ah, and like their, their hair is, you know, <laughs> up in big electrical static and there's pencils flying through the air, you know, and uh, Irving hasn't asked her out in a while or anyway, the, 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 you think about the idea of the uh, person who's un, who's disorganized or unproductive or all those things. The before picture always looks like somebody who's losing their mind with post-it notes all over, over everything. And you look like, you know, a bad stock photo. And then there's this picture of uh, the person who is the after photo, which is the classic, to me, the classic, like somebody like a David Allen, who you know, I've done a little bit of work with in real life. He's a super amazing, cool guy, really nice, very generous with his time. And one of the most productive people I've ever met because he knows what he's doing. The guy mm-hmm. who wrote anything is done. So when he works, they, they don't, there's nothing wackadoodle about the way their team works together. Everybody does their own thing and they trust each other so that they can leave something in somebody's inbox, know that it'll get taken care of and so forth. But somebody, the idea of somebody who is organized, who is productive and who is extremely busy. So they need that the after picture in the productivity world usually looks like somebody who's relaxed, got the, as they say, mind like water. But the notion is they need that because they are so busy. The only way that they could manage all of their busyness stuff is by putting all those principles in place, which makes sense. And so you look at the before picture and you see this, this poor, haggard, harried person who has more, who doesn't even know how much they have to do. And then the after photo of somebody who now handles all of their busyness because they have to. And I, th- I feel like a little bit of an anomaly, maybe a big anomaly, because I'm, I'm not really anywhere on that continuum exactly. I mean, yeah. I'm certainly not super organized. I'm not super busy. And it's really perplexing to people. Because if I were super busy, I would be way better about sending very terse emails that say, <laughs> this is crazy. I don't have time to do this thing you want to do in an hour. What a strange idea. Uh, If I were a very busy person, I guess I could feel really guilt-free about having that kind of cavalier attitude, but I don't. But here's the other part, is that I work really, really hard to have space in my schedule, which sounds so arrogant, and so that's fine for Merlin, but it's something I wish more people would think about, is fighting a little bit harder for yourself to keep the walls up with the rest of the world for no other reason than you don't want to have to be doing stuff all the time. If you have to do stuff all the time, find a system that works and use it, otherwise you're dead. But what about a world where like, you do have blocks of an hour or two hours or a morning to do stuff? Like, Is that something that somebody should be ashamed about wanting to defend? It's, I feel like there's an implicit thing that if you're not stressed out all the time about having too much to do, you're, you're kind of a loser mm. because it's such a common thing to tell everybody about how busy you are all the time. And the, the phrase that I use when pressed, you've heard me say, I'm not busy, I'm time constrained. They are real different. So to me, I don't want to be busy. Like if I get busy with something for a while, that's fine. But to me, success in some ways is to be busy enough to be able to do the things that you want to do, but not to be so busy that you're groaning about how much you have to do that isn't really that valuable. Yeah. And, and that's why, again, if, if, if you're on that David Allen end of the, of the continuum, there's all kinds of stuff you got to say no to because you're already at whatever percentage capacity you've decided is okay. I just want to say, like, I know this is kind of hippie, but I think, I think it's a reasonable worldview to say it's worth putting up these walls you know, in my life or these fences or these, you know, salmon steps, I guess some way of making it a little bit harder to get my time for no reason when it suits you. 
And that's frustrating to people because they feel like they'd like to think that they're the David Allen guy and that, that I'm the Kathy person, right? That I'm just, I'm giving them pushback because I'm, I'm a loser who's not organized. And I'm giving you pushback because I want us both to have a life. Yeah. I want you to know that when I'm here from whatever, nine to five, for example, in the case you're talking about nine to six, like I'll do whatever needs to be done. If it's done, we, we, but we still got to do it in an organized way. And bad, bad, the bad management that leads to working six Saturdays in a row is not my fault. Like my life should not have to be turned upside down to where now my working day is a mess because I haven't had a day off in six weeks. Yeah. And the people who say that sound like they're being real divas. So, you know, I take, when I read something like what this person said, I understand we live in different worlds. We have different things that go on in our lives, but I'm also a little bit defensive because I think it is kind of a bully thing to do. And that's why I get emotional about it because by doing these things the way I do them, that means like if something happens and I've got to go like pick up my daughter early, I can, and I don't have to feel terrible about that. If somebody is in town and there's this crazy opportunity we have to see each other, I don't have to cancel six things to do that. Because that's all time, time and time and time and time. Even all that stuff that's just as simple as canceling something and looking like a big jerk. I don't know. I guess I just feel like I want you guys, the listeners, to have the confidence and the will to occasionally realize that your time, it's not not even worth, I don't want to say that it's worth defending or worth guarding, but it's worth owning. And anything that you own is worth taking care of, unless it's not. In which case, everybody in the world will sip up every last second of time that you have for the stupidest stuff in the world whenever it suits them on their terms, and you're a jerk for not doing it faster. Mm. Or you could get a little bit, a bit pickier about that and say that, you know, have a little dignity and say that a couple times a week, a couple mornings a week, I'm just going to write. Or, you know what, these two days a week, I'm going to go to this class and I'm going to, that's just a thing that I do. And I don't need to apologize for that. I'm not Kathy. I'm not David Allen. I'm me. And this is what I need to do to be a whole human. And I think we should not be embarrassed about standing up to bullies like this when they demand that we tear down our entire infrastructure for having a decent life in order to make them feel good for four seconds. Wow. <laughs> I think I need to lay down. I might, I might have just had a seizure or something. You all right? Yeah. Remember this show used to be about comics? Do you remember that? Am I button this up? Sure. I love you. I love you too, brother man. Mm-hmm.